Over our dinner table a few weeks ago, we had a conversation. And we have conversations from time to time when we're talking to each other. And on this particular occasion, the conversation was about dreams for the future. We're all going around, what's the dreams for the future that you have? One of our members of our family, I won't tell you who it was, uh, spoke up in this conversation and said that their dream for the future is that they would love to be financially secure. What do you think of that? When I grow up, I'd want to be financially secure, is what he said. Oh, I gave it away there, he said. <laughs> he said. And um, we said, this is a curious dream. I have spoken to young people growing up in this day and age, which is a very challenging world to grow up in financially, with the job market is, the difficulty of buying property as it is, and frankly, the dream to be financially secure isn't such a bad dream in this world as we look forward. However, it seems to me that a dream ought not to be about settling down. It ought to be about being stirred to go and do something. And this series that we are going to have is inspired by this book called, by Andrew Scott called Scatter. Uh, Avril Kindly has sourced some of these from the Christian bookshop at the back at a slightly cheaper rate than you'll get them on Amazon, so it's the best place to buy them here. Um, uh, Stephen Judson recommended this to me, thank you. Um, and I read this a month, uh, probably about eight, nine months ago and felt that the core of this would be a really interesting place for us to be just for a few weeks this term. I heartily recommend you getting hold of a copy of this book. Um, I would recommend that you listen to the talks first and then read the book because otherwise you'll hear some of the talk before you, you come. Um, but it's really worth listening to. The essence of the book says this, to follow Jesus means not settling down but being on the move. And this idea has lent credence by the Bible and understanding that our home is not actually in this world as it is today. But our home that we long to is in the kingdom of God that is coming. And we long for that space. Our dream is not so much perhaps to be financially secure, but our dream is to be secure in Christ and to find our home in him. And to be at home in Christ, ironically, is in a sense to be away from home in the world. That's why in Philippians it says, our citizenship is in heaven. To settle for this world as it is, to settle for our lives perhaps just as they are right at the moment, is probably not the same as longing for God's kingdom. I wonder what your dream is. I wonder where Jesus is in it. It's a genuine question. It's the unsettling basis for this book. It's even slightly more unsettling than somebody telling you to move chairs in the middle of a service. It's a sense also of telling you that your life is worth something. It was given to you for a purpose. So I want to think about this as we go along. Scatter is a book written by a missionary, um, written by somebody who uh, works for SIM, and it has mission at its heart. But what I really like about the, the, this book is the way it defines mission, which it does at the beginning of this. I wonder what your understanding of that word would be now. I wonder what it would have been 20 years ago. I wonder whether the experience of being at SBC, actually, for the last 20 years may have expanded your view of mission a little bit. I hope so, along the way, as we go. 
My view of mission, before I was a Christian certainly, was of usually a white person, middle-aged, wearing a pith helmet, somewhere in some foreign clime, speaking under a tree to lots of people. Even when I became a Christian, mission was what a few people did who came to our church once a year, and they seemed nutters, basically. And they were somewhere overseas, and they were very passionate about everything, and it was always exhausting listening to them. In recent years, I've realized that mission is more than this. It involves all of our life, all the time. Not just the bit that we do when we go to church or we're thinking about God, but we are always on in terms of mission. And the definition of mission here in this book begins at the beginning of the Bible. And I love this. It's written into the creation intent that God has for when he made human beings. He said there, after human beings are created, that they are blessed. God blesses them and then he sends them. That's what happens in Genesis chapter 1. You are blessed and scattered in order with a commission to fill and subdue the earth or govern it or steward it. That is problematic, that term, to fill and subdue the earth, especially in these days when we're talking about environmentalism and our concern for the climate. It seems to me that we do need to be careful if we think that our role is to go and make use of the planet whatever way we want to. But in this, per, in this uh, chapter here, when this man's defining mission, what he actually says it is not that simply human beings are to go to rule, but they're going to rule in such a way as to bring glory to God and to truly live as his image bearers wherever we go. Think about that. Tomorrow morning, you're going wherever you're going, and you're going as someone who bears the image of God. Or you're not. Mission is to go to bear the image of God. In this way, the commission, which I really love, about doing good in the world is wrapped up with the same commission to talk to people about believing in God. And so often in church life, I find myself torn in two different directions by people in, in churches, some of whom are saying, all we need to do is to get them to believe in Jesus. That's all that matters. And other people say, but that can't be all of it. Surely we've got to care for the world around us and our communities here. And all too often, that's set up as an either-or. Either you do this, or you do this. Of course that's wrong. It's a both-and thing. Two sides of the same coin. And the way this, this, this idea of mission is set up is that our role is to fill the earth with image-bearers of God. In other words, you need to follow Jesus to be able to do that properly. But equally, if you are going to be an image-bearer of God, it is your role to steward the earth around you and to live well amongst the people that you do. You cannot separate those two things. The two things are totally bound up with each other. And bringing these two roles together happens as we, as we, uh, we bring together the idea that we're made in the image of God and that we're scattered throughout the world. Andrew Scott, the man who writes the book, says, our role is to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth with other image bearers of God, taking care of it as we go. I'm going to read that again because I think it's a great definition. Our role is to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth with other image bearers of God, taking care of it as we go. In other words, it is our role to multiply image bearers. We need to talk to people about God because the way that we bear the image of God involves knowing God. That's important as we go along there. It is important to evangelize people and introduce them to the gospel. 
That's why we've called um, Alex to be our pastor for evangelism. It is to be scattered, to speak of the way back to God for us. Away from broken images, away from settling for looking after ourselves, and often looking after ourselves badly, towards being focused back on God. But implied within this is that we are created to be image bearers in Christ, is to live well and to govern well and to flourish and to be fruitful, as well as passing on the call to be image bearers to others. That's why we employed Alex also to be our pastor for community engagement. So he's got it all sus, we don't need to do anything. Of course that's not true. Of course that's not true. And because it's a vision for the whole earth, it says fill the whole earth, we cannot settle and lose momentum. We are to be scattered. And I want to think about this in two different ways. That word settle is something that we easily do. We feel safe within our own little world and we settle down. In fact, all our plans are about bolstering that world so that it's more complete and we're more settled in the future. But that doesn't ring true to me with what Scripture says. So I'm sorry about that, if that's unfortunate. I don't like it very much, if I'm honest. I'd quite like to settle back and not do very much and just watch endless repeats of MasterChef. What a vision that is. (laughs) But it's precisely this call to recruit image bearers that Jesus repeats. This isn't just at the beginning of the Bible. This is what's so exciting. That verse that we read earlier, you know the one that all those people were talking about? The Great Commission? There's no settling with the risen Christ, is there? When Jesus is resurrected, he doesn't say, let's call everything off for a year, kick back and just chill out. Let's go to Ayanapa. He doesn't say that. Which I'm very grateful for, to be honest with you, because I don't want to go to Ayanapa. <laughs> but what he says is that I am alive. And there's some message to be told. There is a creation urgency and momentum that begins here. And that purpose is a dispersal that Jesus envisions. Because he says, go. Go. Scatter, not settle. This is what he says, isn't it? It's what he says, isn't it? Go. One of the books I read, um, one of the chap- in this chapter, it talks about the fact that um, somebody was given a particular instruction in diving, which they completely ignored and caused quite a problem as a result of it. It was a very simple instruction. I think it was about taking some weights off at a particular time or leaving them on. And the person in, uh, didn't do as they were told and there was consequences. And at the end of this section of the book, Andrew Scott says, you know, go is a very simple instruction, isn't it? Which bit of the word go don't you understand? I don't like the word go either, if I'm honest. I don't mind nip out. He doesn't say that, does he? (laughs) Nip out and make disciples of my friend. He doesn't say that. I'm just telling you all this stuff that I don't like because I don't want you to think that I'm coming up here saying, brilliant, this is all very easy, isn't it? Did you hear what Brian said up there? He said that to leave is painful. That may be to leave people that you care about, but it may be simply leaving the comfort of your own home in the morning and where you're going. To deal with other people and to go into places which are challenging is for many of us very, very challenging. 
but that is at the heart of what's here. Why do we go? Not to make converts, not to bring people to church, although I think there's no harm in bringing people to church either, but to make disciples. And that's why we're talking about discipleship as a church at the moment. And we're going to be talking about discipleship as a church. Because it's my view that the life that Jesus calls us into is more than simply coming here on a Sunday morning. It's about the relationship that we have with each other here. Being family together, caring for each other, being in touch, living out a life of prayer every day, reading scripture, engaging that, being shaped by that, taking the courage to share that with somebody, particularly at their point of need where they need it. Not just to bang them over the head with a Bible. Some people I know in the past have used, been Bible bashers, literally. They've used the Bible as an offensive weapon. They've whacked people with it as they come along. I don't believe in that. But I do believe in the truth of what we stand for. And I believe there's hope in that. And I believe that we should look for those opportunities, even if they're gentle, just to say, I'm going to pray for you about that. What do you think? That's my heart. That's my dream for us as church. It's a slightly scary message. I have to say this. Ever since I've been here, I've been very unsettled. Alex will tell you this. Jeremy will tell you this. People who've been in the elders, Jerry will tell you this. The trouble is, I'm absolutely convinced about what I've just told you. But I'm also a pastor. And pastors actually like to gather people together and look after people and make sure everything's all right. But I'm preaching a message that says, that's important, but we need to go. Makes me feel slightly nervous. Maybe not as important as I thought I was. It's not about coming here to listen to me. It's actually coming here so I can listen to you. Tell me what you've been doing and what God's been doing. That's why I love that video we just shared. Did you like that? I love that. Our tendency is to settle rather than to keep moving. And that's to deny the missional heart that's right in the middle of what we have. I don't think our faith should ever be boring. And if it is, surely there's a problem with that. Can it really be boring that you're filled with the resurrected spirit of Christ and sent to tell the world about the good news that's there? Oh, yeah, oh, it's a bit tedious. I'd rather be watching MasterChef. Sometimes I would rather be watching MasterChef, to be honest with you. Really honestly. But the command is to be on the move, to scatter, not to settle. Don't settle for less. Don't settle for less. Scatter. And so the Bible consistently finds people settling for less. And instead of trying to be image bearers, bringing glory to God, turn it in on themselves and say, well, actually what we want to do is to make it about us, not about God. And that's why Tanya came and read the passage that she read, which is in Genesis chapter 11. The Bible consistently sees God scattering people to keep his message moving. And I want to just look at this story as one example of that. It's a strange story, isn't it? What do you think about this story? A really weird story about building the Tower of Babel. Babel, by the way, is a corruption of the word that we get Babylon from. So for the people who read this, in the initial reading of it, many of whom would have been living in Babylon, it had a story meaning, the Tower of Babel, and it had a literal meaning in the city of Babylon that they were living in at this time. And by the way, Babylon then becomes a metaphor, and there are lots of Babylons that there have been. Rome was one of them. 
That's what Revelation talks about. And you could argue that there have been Babylons in our world now. Some of you will look at Russia as one of those places. I would argue it's not the only one. And these places, these Babylons, become uh, seduced by their own, their own worth, their own wonder. And everything comes about settling down and making strong this place for self-indulgence, to make sure everything's okay there. And the heart of this story in the Tower of Babylon is the building of a tower, an edifice. It's a technological feat. It's human ingenuity that does it. Haven't we been clever? We can build this tower, such a tower that stretches up so that it almost connects heaven with earth. We are amazing, aren't we, human people? We don't need God anymore. We can, we can get to heaven by building a tower. We, can, we have the technology. Who says that? We have the technology. We can do this, is what the story says. And I think that in this story also, there's a sense in which the desire to settle and the desire to become self-sufficient, at best, financially secure, and at worst, self-glorifying, takes away from the momentum that God wants for us. And God's response to this in the story of the Tower of Babel and in other stories in the Bible and in our lives is to scatter, not to encourage us to settle. Scatter, not settle, is the instinct that holds us closer to, closest to God. So this sense of building ourselves up, self-aggrand... I've got this word, I can't even read, speak out loud the word I've written down here. Here's the phrase, self-aggrandizement. Why am I using that word? Nobody uses that word, do they? I can't even say that word. This sense of building ourselves up, making ourselves the most important thing, is represented symbolic by the construction of a tower that connects earth to heaven. And the floor of the plan is, begins to start off with, they use funny building material. Well, we're bricks. And we'll have, instead of mortar, we'll use this bitumen stuff. And if you read about this, you'll find that they're using substandard building materials. They're, they're doing it on the cheap, this job. Look at that amazing tower we've got. Looks great now, but if you live next door to the person in the flat, you can hear what's on the television. It's so thin, the walls that are through between this time. And in a few years' time, the, the mortar's going to start to corrupt and the whole thing's going to come crashing down. But still, we can build it. And it's going to be great because in this moment, it feels good. It looks amazing. And the story that's here says that the point of this as well represents a heart. Two statements are made that hang together here. And the first of these is, we're going to build this to make a name for ourselves. Or as another version of the Bible says, to make ourselves famous. The story of Babel is a story about people trying to build their reputation. Look at me. Look at what I've achieved. And the permanence in that. Look at me, look at my achievements, and keep looking at me. And the security that's in that as well, in themselves, which makes them feel unshakable in themselves. This is what we're trying to do. But as a consequence of this, God is slightly marginalized because you're spending so much time building your reputation that God is somewhere over there. It's easy for us as individuals to follow suit, to spend our lives building our reputation. It's easy for churches to do that, isn't it? This is a really frightening thought, I think, about from time to time. Because I have to confess to you again that I do do, I think like this quite often. How can we make SBC a bit better? How can we draw more people here? How are we going to build our reputation? Are those the right questions that we should be asking ourselves as church? 
They're the trendy questions to be asking ourselves at church. That's what people in conferences talk about. Surely we should be saying, how can we walk more closely with Jesus? How can we be more effective about bearing? Bearing the image of God wherever we go and bringing glory to his name. How can we be that sort of church? How can we be a church where if you walk in this, this, this room, you feel that you belong here? Because Jesus says you belong here. How can we be part of a church where you will be cared for? And more than that, that you will have a role to care for other people because this isn't a passive place. How can we as disciples, not as people who belong to an organisation, grow this place so that we are more effective, both at encouraging others to bear the image of God and also to look after the world as we go? That's the big question, isn't it? But you don't do that if you build an edifice. You don't do that if you look at your reputation. In the story of Babel, there seems to be a connection, I think, between rebelling against God and replacing him with human achievement and the fear of being scattered, which lies behind this. It says in this verse, otherwise, we'll build this tower, otherwise, we'll build this city with a wall around it, otherwise we'll be scattered over the face of the earth. Let's, let's, let's make sure that we're secure in this space, otherwise we're going to have to go, and we're going to feel slightly less secure then, and we'll have to trust God. So let's build the walls, let's build the tower. They want to avoid the fate of being scattered. The fear of being scattered is a half-stated anticipation of what God has on his heart all along. Maybe there's a dim little memory, a muscle memory from years ago that says, I am supposed to be going and sharing this, aren't I? Maybe I shouldn't settle, but I'm a bit nervous about that, so I'm going to make sure that I build my walls. The point of creation is that those given the privilege of bearing the image of God would fill the earth with a sense of God's glory. And on a local level, the point of our commission is that we would fill Stopsley and Luton with an image of God's glory. And on a much more local level, that you'd fill your marriage or your parenting or your friendships with that same thing. That's the commission. Or co-op. Run a bean or that skin place where you can lazy your eyebrows off, or whatever it is. Turkish restaurant, everyone, as well, coming soon. Let's have a big whoop for the Turkish restaurant. Exactly, that's what I think, a Turkish restaurant in Stopsy. But we're going to go there as image bearers, aren't we? Aren't we? To fill the Turkish restaurant with the image of God and bring glory to his name. These are really, really important things. If we don't do this, we deny the heart of God we settle, we don't scatter. And we are made to scatter, not to settle. The story of Babel suggests that God's response to this is ultimately, even if you don't scatter, he will make sure that it happens anyway. Read these words. It says, So the Lord scattered them from, from there all over the earth, and they stopped building the city. That's why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. So there's this building into a monolith where everyone speaks the same language, but God scatters them and says, we're going to have lots of different cultures. And I like that. We're going to have lots of different cultures and people are going to speak different languages and see things in different worlds. And that means you're going to have to go and start moving around to communicate in this way. And you're going to have to listen and learn from people who are different to you. And at the end, in Revelation, it turns out that all those people from different tribes and tongues come into heaven and worship in their own tongue in a way that is harmonious with each other. 
It's not flattened so everyone speaks the same language. Everybody speaks their own language and out of their own culture and we do it together. That's what our church should be like, by the way. That's, if you're coming here from a culture that's other than Luton and indigenous and white, whatever it is, then you have a place here to make our life richer. Thank you for coming. Please be involved. In the Bible, this scattering happens through three different ways. It can happen through an invitation and obedience, like the Great Commission. Jesus said, go. And we said, all right then, we'll go. And you're scattered. Sometimes it happens through a judgment of sorts. Exile, it was this. People went to Babylon because they weren't living the way they were, and they were sent in that way. Sometimes it happens through trauma. In the New Testament, in Acts, the church was persecuted, and they went as a consequence of that. Commission and obedience, judgment, trauma, all of them lead to scattering. And Brian actually sent three videos when he said, went on his um, little thing, and one, one of them said, does, does God scatter people? I've just been to Poland. Poland is filled with Ukrainian evangelical Christians who were spilling into a largely secular um, or, or nominal Poland, and suddenly the word of God is spreading in Poland. Does God scatter through that? God, that's a difficult question, isn't it? What a cost. And it's only human to think about all of that, isn't it? Surely. But maybe we do. We may struggle with some of that because it's hard. But when we come to Christ, we, are to commission, we offer a commission not to settle but to scatter and bear the invitation as we go. So we've looked at the importance of movement, and I'm almost done for today, which is good. We looked what it is to bear the image of God, what it means to be church at the same time. What does it mean for us to be a, an image-bearing church that goes? The word scatter in this book has uh, an illustration which I really like, which is about football. Sorry if you don't like football, but if you do, this is all going to make a lot of sense. I, was a, I, I thought the other day, do you know, I sat and said, Nick and I said, how long has it been that we've been standing on touchlines watching people play football? And we worked out that I reckon it's about 14 or 15 years that I've been standing on touchlines on Saturday mornings watching Owen or Jack play football or Rhiannon play lacrosse when she was doing that as well. When they're little, little fellas, about four or five, have you ever seen a game of football where it's full of people this sort of big? There's a big pitch, and there's about like 14 people, but they're all within a very small area around the ball, and they go like a, like a sort of swarm of people around after the ball, following it round all, all the way. Now, that's not the most effective way to play football. You hear on, if you hear uh, Gary Level or those other fellas talk, they'll say, they need to keep their shape. They need to spread out. They need to pass. Because the trouble also with the little fellas, um, and, and actually even slightly bigger fellas who haven't learnt this yet, is that they hog the ball too much. Everyone hates a hogger. We don't like hoggers. Hoggers and goal hangers. Ugh. We don't like those. Hoggers that are there. The point is this. Playing football, you are not supposed to all gather around one small area around the ball. You are supposed to spread out and play the game. And you're supposed to learn to pass. And when you pass, you end up scoring the goal. We should not be a church who is hogging the ball. We should be a church who is finding our position, passing, and moving towards goaling. That's really, really important. That's what's in the middle of this. Finally, this. This scattering, I think, involves all of us, and it's good that the young people are coming in, because it involves you too. 
I believe that some people... This is a very rich church for this... I've never been in a church where there are so many people who are employed or have been employed, or whatever you call that, as a full-time missionary. I know it's not employment as such, but you know what I mean. We want to honour those people, don't we? Do we? Do you want to honour those people who've, in obedience, gone and done that? I really honour those people. I admire them a lot. There's one or two here who felt the call to be preachers, and they've come into that call as well. But most of us haven't. But I don't think that mission is something we can delegate away to a few people. In fact, I think the church is God's missionary society. And this man who writes this book said, you need to break down the boundary between what you regard as your church life and the rest of your life, or what has been termed the sacred and the secular. He says this, Scattering was not simply meant to be a bunch of preachers or missionaries travelling around holding gospel campaigns, but the bright witness of many who lived next door or worked alongside those who did not know Jesus, reflecting the goodness and glory of God in an irresistible way. So I wonder this, my friends, at the beginning of this week. Do you feel challenged? I hope so. I do. Where are you going this week? may not be very far. Maybe you go there every week. What does it mean to go there in the company of Jesus this week? What does it mean to be an image bearer this week? What does it mean to bring the glory of God there this week? Whether you're going to school, little young people who've come in here. Can I tell you this? School isn't just something you have to get through. School is your mission field right now. It's the place where you're called to be like Jesus and find out what it's like there. And it's difficult. Of course it is. Some of us are retired here and won't be going out to work in the same sort of way. That doesn't mean that life has stopped. You're going to be meeting other people. You're going to be in neighbourhoods. What does it mean? When I was at university, I used to pray regularly. Um, oh, they used to say, and they, they, I was very young as a Christian, they used to say, this week we're going to pray for a God opportunity, which meant that sometime this week, because I was shy, I still am. Um, do you believe that? No, I know. It's true. It terrified me when I went out on the street with Alex last week. I pray a God opportunity sometimes because I want somebody to come to me and talk to me in a way that means that I can talk to faith to them without me having to provoke it. It's easier that way. And I believe in the power of prayer. Do you? Come to hungry tonight then. Seven to late. It's going to be really, really good. So that's it for today, folks. That's the... Uh, sorry, there wasn't really an ending there, was it? It was like... Do you, do you like those songs which just fade out when you listen to them? I always think, well, why is there not an ending in this song? It's very lazy, isn't it? But that's, this, this sermon's like that. It's just going to get quieter and quieter and quieter until eventually you don't hear anything at all and it's got to stop. 